pause, renew, next. A podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, welcome back for the second part of our conversation with guest Sarah Westfall. If you missed the last episode, I suggest you go back and give it a listen. Sarah is a writer, she's been a podcaster, she's a creative, and a boy mom extraordinaire. And I loved diving into our conversation last time to talk about belonging and connection. And in this episode, we're continuing our conversation to talk about a little bit of a harder subject, and that is grief. But we're not just talking about grief. We're talking about how we can really support and be present with those who are grieving. You guys, this is a really hard conversation, but such a good one and a rich one and full of grace. I think you will really be encouraged and come away better equipped, maybe a little more encouraged as to how to walk alongside somebody who's really going through a dark season of the soul. I'm really thankful for the way Sarah opens up and shares her story in this episode. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Sarah, I'm so glad that we can continue our conversation from last time. Before we jump in to talk about grief, we're going to start a little more lighthearted. What is something that you're really interested in lately or a hobby that you've picked up that you really love? Yeah, one, I've been thinking about this question. And one of the things that I, that that really helps me break like my day into like, from work Sarah mode into like being present at the end of the day with my family is cooking. And I especially love this time of year because I am a soup person. Oh, me and too. I, my gosh. I lo- and I don't know if it's like the comfort thing. I don't know if it's the warmth or just the process of it, it's part of it's a creative process. Like what, what do I have and what can I throw in this pot and to make a meal? Um, but I, I'm really enjoying um, soup season. A few of my favorites that I'm making right now are um, pumpkin chili. Ooh. Um, it's really strange. I am not, I'm not like a pumpkin spice anything person, but I like pumpkin chili. It is fantastic. Um, and then any, really any form of chili. But then my mom, there's this recipe that I have inherited from my mom. We call it cheese soup, but it's really just like a vegetable slash potato soup with <laughs> Velveeta cheese in it. And so it's very, um, it's not good for you, but it's very tasty this time of year. Yum. So can you share those recipes with us? Cause I'm very curious now. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. I will be sure to send them to you and you can share them however you like. Yay. That's really fun. Okay. So in the last um, episode, you kind of touched upon a season that you went through that was really full of grief. That was really difficult about 12 years ago. Um, I think you're the perfect person to talk about this because there are a lot of experts out there that can talk about grief. But if you haven't been through it yourself, you don't really know how to tell people to help in the same way that you, like an expert hasn't lived it necessarily, but you have. Can you share a little bit about your own story of loss? Like what, any way that you want to share that as much or as little as you want to share about that? Right. So almost, almost to the day 12 years ago. So it was December 23rd, 2010. Yes, the math is 12 years ago. Sorry. <laughs> um, found out that our 
um, I was pregnant. I was about halfway through that second pregnancy and found out that our um, son had never developed kidneys in utero. And at that time, there were there were no procedures that could be done to um, extend his life or do a transplant or anything like that. So we knew about midway through the pregnancy that he would either um, be stillborn or not live long after he was born. Um, his name is Carter, and he was born on February 2nd, 2011, and he lived for an hour. Um, so there, there were kind of two phases of the grief. There was the phase between when we found out his diagnosis and when he was born, in which I feel like that grief was really centered on the the death of a vision, the death of what I thought would happen of a lot of wrestling with, um, for me personally, uh, what was fair. It felt mm -hmm. very unfair um, because this was just a very rare birth defect that had no cause, no rhyme, no reason. And that felt very unfair to me who didn't eat lunch meat, did not drink, did not smoke, did all the things. And so did a lot of wrestling um, with that in that first wave of grief, while also being very mindful of the fact that that pregnancy then became my time with my son. Um, and so trying to, in that bitterness, still find uh, joy and, and being attentive to every movement, to every um, hiccup during that season. Um, and then after he was born, he lived for an hour and, um, and then he passed away. And for, I would say at least a year after that was really probably the darkest and most raw season of grief for me. Um, because I no longer had like, like his, he was then absent, you know, absent from my body, absent from my arms. Um, absent from our home. And it was, whereas before that I had a, a still had that measure of joy that came from his nearness, that his absence was just such a gaping hole um, that first year. And um, it was really raw and stirred up not only so many questions I had for God, um, but also questions and and having to navigate what it looked like to, I mean, we still had our oldest son, so I still had to be a mom. <laughs> I still had to, to be a wife. Um, and we were, my husband worked for a church at the time. And so, we, and we just still had responsibilities. I was in grad school. Um, and so trying to navigate that first year, how do we grieve this? The worst, worst fear come reality while also living a life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And I, you know, we're, we're 12 years removed now. And so I think we've gained some perspective, but I do want to say just first and foremost in this conversation, as we begin to, to talk about like how to navigate grief alongside other people is that even though I have carried the weight of grief for 12 years and it has become 
maybe more familiar to me that every time I have a friend who is hurting, it's still awkward. And it's still, there's still that measure of, I have to step back and say, how do I show up and how do I show up well and, and remind myself how important it is to be present, even in the midst of hard things. Um, so while grief is familiar, I, it's not more natural. And I don't know if it should be, really. Right, right. That's a really important distinction that you made, and I'm glad that you shared that. Yeah. yeah. I have ideas about this, but what do you think it is about grief that makes us want to shy away and makes us feel so awkward? I think it's a lot of things. Um, on one hand, I think it, it, it goes against the grain of, um, of our humanity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that we ultimately were designed for, for life and life eternal. And so death and grief and loss, um, rubs up against that in a really, um, was like a, a dissonant sort of way. But I think that especially now in this moment in time, it goes against so many of the cultural norms and values of our day um, that anything that seems even melancholy, let alone grief, depression, these, these, um, what some might categorize as, as darker feelings or expressions, um, we're just not comfortable with as, as a society. And, you know, I, I, am reading, um, Bittersweet by Susan Cain. Um, it's really great book, but she talks about in that, um, how as a culture, you know, even written into our, um, you know, some of the documents of our founding fathers here in the United States is that pursuit of happiness. And, and along with that, we then don't categorize things like grief. Um, we, we like shy away then from grief, that, that pursuit of happiness, that pursuit of what is light, that pursuit of what is like, I'm not saying like light, like as in like shadow versus light, but as in as like lighthearted. Or, you know, fun or easy. Like there's this ease that we all, we we think happiness is a life of ease. And peace. And grief. And and, and grief is never easy. (laughs) No one would ever choose it. Um, And so I think that in this moment in particular, and and I've I've seen how we've, certain circles are doing better at this. Um, I think that on some level, the the last few years that our world has been through has maybe even been good for this of like all of us carrying a familiar and similar grief has weirdly both connected us, but also divided us. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, weirdly both. Like we all have this, this common thing that we have walked through. Um. But I, I think that we still have a lot of room for, for sitting and lamenting alongside each other mm-hmm. and, and figuring out what that looks like to love well in the midst of loss. Yeah. Yeah. You worded that so beautifully. 
Yeah, I was, and I'm curious too. Like, what are your? I, sorry, not to turn the podcast on you, but what were what are some of your thoughts that about grief you know, as you about grief of why it's hard for us? Well, I would have said a, very similar to what you said the first time, which is that. I mean, I think we we're created with eternity in our hearts, and that we are made to be connected, and there aren't supposed to be goodbyes. And so, anytime there's a goodbye, like I'm going to start crying about it, just thinking about it. Anytime there's a goodbye, it's like a rip in the tear between us and what was meant to be, I think. And so we know that in eternity, we'll be with people forever. Like that's what we are created for. Whether you're a person of faith or not, like somewhere deep inside, it feels like this is meant to continue, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And the other thing is, like you said, in our culture, you know, you can go to the store now and buy chicken that's already been deboned. Like you don't have to come into contact with death anywhere, ever, really. Like we've taken death out of the culture altogether. And so, and at the same time, we're watching gratuitous violence, which is strange, but it's depersonalized. You know, it's like on a screen. So, but not in real life where you have to bury your loved ones and things like that. There are services that do that for us now. And so I think in the past, death was much more commonplace, not that it made it easier, but it was a part of life and people saw that. And as a family, you went through it with the person, you may have even buried them in the family plot of land and dressed their body and all that kind of stuff. And now we don't have that experience. It's almost like our culture has written that out somehow. Like that's not supposed to happen. Like we have good healthcare in this country. So that's not something we need to think about. Like everything should work out well and it doesn't always work out well. And so then we have conversations in my counseling office because part of being a human is suffering and God meets us in those places, but it's never a place we want to go. Right. And I would argue that suffering is one of the most core things that we have in common as people. Our suffering might look different, definitely will look different, but it is one of the, the, it probably is the most common thing that we have between us just, you know, that transcends ethnicity, yeah, you know, economy, geography, all the things. And so I've, I recently, I've been doing the daily audio Bible and it recently went through Job. And every time I go through Job, I always think, wow, those guys did a really good job there at the beginning when they just sat with Job for seven days, because that's what we need. We need to be seen. We need to be held. We need to be loved. And then they opened their mouth and it all went poorly from there. So that leads me to ask you, I love that you've written this. It's such a helpful and practical guide when people do feel awkward and they don't know what they want to do, but they know they should be doing something for you. Um, how was one of the ways that you felt most cared for in your own personal season of grief? Yeah, I mentioned this in your last episode or our last episode together, but I had friends uh, in our neighborhood who would come and get our, um, our oldest son and either take him to the park or let him come play for a little bit. And um, just recognizing that need in me as a, as a mom to, to need some time to either take a nap or to like, that would be the time that I would go have my ugly cry. Um, just to, to not, 
break down um, and put that put that burden of breaking down on my you know seventeen month old at the time. <laughs> um, and so practical things like that in which they recognized a need, you know, I we had so many people who brought casseroles. And I know that we kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, the, you know, the meal train or whatever, but what a beautiful, tangible, physical expression of love. I mean, talk about the other thing that we have in common as people, like we need to eat. (laughs) And so what, what, I don't know, like that just became such a, a beautiful kindness that others extended to me so that I did not have to think on a daily basis what I would feed my family that evening. Um, It was one less thing that I had had to think about and to worry about. Um, And some people, it was, you know, some people were like, I'm not a cook, but here is a gift card to Pizza Hut, you know? And I'm like, perfect, because there will come a a day, one of these days that nobody is bringing food and I don't want to make anything and I will order pizza. And so it's there and waiting for that moment. And so I think those were some, and they're so simple. Um, Another beautiful thing that someone did for, for us. And a lot of these things, like they weren't, there was no expectation that they come and say anything in particular. Right. Um, yeah. That's what I wanted to ask. Is there anything yeah. that people shouldn't say? And is there anything that people should say, or does it not really matter as long as their heart's in the right place? Yeah. You know, I would, and this is, this is my personal opinion. So I will say that this is my personal opinion. Some people might um, have different thoughts, but I, I think that at First and foremost, that it is better to say something than to be silent, because in silence, the person who is grieving um, has like their mind can go wild as to all the reasons why you're not saying anything or not showing up and so much room for assumptions to fill in the gaps. And so I think it is always better to say something. And even if that something is. I don't know what to say, but I hurt for you. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I feel like truly that is one of the best things people said (laughs) to me was just, I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know either. Like there's no good words for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And just recognizing that, that awkwardness, but yet sharing in the pain. I think it's always better to say something. And I think the thing that, I really struggled with personally. And it feels weird for me to say this because I I love God's word. And I love um I love spending time in God's word and I believe in the 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 truths and the story of God that is there. But it was super unhelpful to me when people would just pull a random scripture and and quote it or um say something along the lines of, um, well, God just needed another angel. And, and I'm like, well, first of all, theologically, that's probably not accurate, but (laughs) also, um, not helpful to me in this moment. And so I think that those kind of things, anything that could come across as like a platitude, or if, if you're, 
I think it, we have to be really mindful of our motivations and in, in what we say, because is it just to like break the tension or to feel like we should say something spiritual in this moment that you don't have to like rid yourself of the pressure to feel like you have to have some sort of cosmic wisdom and just, and just be present. Like, yeah, yeah, there, there are no good words. I've lived with this for 12 years. There are no good words mm-hmm. in yeah. those moments. So I'll agree with you a hundred percent. And this is about your story, not mine, but I suffered a miscarriage almost 10 years ago. And there was a period of time where we weren't sure, like where his heartbeat wasn't right. He or she, I don't know. And so it was like a wait and see game. And so I'd asked for prayer. Well, I ended up miscarrying and somebody asked me like, Oh, whatever happened with that? You know? And I shared it at kind of an inopportune moment that I wasn't prepared. Like, and they said something like, Oh, well, I guess Jesus knows what he's doing. And it was like, (gasps) that wasn't the, that's not really what I needed to hear right now. I'm sure he does know what he's doing, but too soon. Like I, I really didn't need that. And I know that that person's heart was really in the right place. You know, yeah. I don't think yeah. people are saying things to put their foot in their mouth. I think they're really trying to be present and love us well. And sometimes, especially for Christians, we feel like we need to wrap it up and put a pretty bow on it maybe, or say yeah. that the Lord knows what he's doing. And he does. Yeah. But when we're in the midst of the mess, sometimes we just need presence and not somebody to tie it up for us and make sense of it, of something that doesn't feel like it really makes sense at all. Yeah. And even as you're saying that, I'm thinking about your question earlier of why it's so hard for us to sit with grief. And I think one of those things is because we as a culture are are less comfortable sitting with questions Mm -hmm. than we are with having answers. We want to have these, we want to have something concrete to hold in our hands because it feels more in control. It feels, um, it feels better to us to, to, to put a bow on it, like you said, but with grief and loss, so often there, there, there's so much mystery in that. There are so many questions in that as to, to why and to how and, you know, things that we may never know on the side of eternity that, that it's, I, I understand the desire to, to say something that, that is an answer because you feel like you're being helpful. You feel like you're giving somebody something to, to hold in their hand. But so often it is, it is not the most helpful thing. And I think too, for those of us who are, are grieving, like I had to, I had to learn that I had to have grace in that, you know, like I, I had to um, recognize that people were doing the best they can. Yeah. I'm glad you said that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it was so hard. Um, There was one particular time that uh, my husband was working for a church at the time and he had a volunteer who is an adult man, but who um, mentally, emotionally was probably a little bit younger than his actual age. And so he, he was talking to me about our loss and he was clearly very uncomfortable, but said, you know, I, he, he had a cat and he said, I would be so sad if I lost my cat. 
And I remember going home that day and initially just being like furious of like, how dare he compare losing my son to a cat? And I'm not a cat person, so <laughs> that might be part of it. Um, but my husband was very wise in that moment and was just and reminded me like that is the closest thing that he can compare something that he loves here on this earth to us losing our son. And that, that changed so much for me and how I received the, the things that people would say that would initially feel that would make me angry initially. So yeah, it was so like that. Now I look back on that. I'm like, Gosh, I love, I love that moment, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Um, I'm not going to make you go through your whole list because I really want people to come and read your book, but can you share with us a couple of the ways, the practical ways that people can show up for somebody who's grieving? Yeah. Um, I mentioned a few already in terms of like, meals. Um, and if you're not a, a cook or you don't have time to cook, gift cards are always welcome. Or if you're like live far, far away, you know, most people have a Panera bread or a McDonald's or something in the proximity. So kind of figuring out, you know, what they might have nearby and sending a gift card. I really like gift cards because there's, there's going to be a season in grief in which you feel like, okay, I think, I think I have my feet under me. And then you're going to have a day that just knocks you out and Mm -hmm. it it comes unprompted. You don't see it coming. And on that day, I want to have somebody have a gift card in hand and say, I don't feel like making dinner tonight. I'm going to use this. And so, um, that was one thing that I, I always like to recommend. Um, I was really grateful for some of the, the tangible physical, um, like gifts and reminders of my son that people gave to me. Um, an example of like a, a necklace with his name on it. Um, I think I got a bracelet as well. We have, um, a, I'm not a big angels person like of and all of that but somebody gave us like this um concrete angel that we have in our garden and and even though I'm like okay angel might not be what I choose for my decor but it's still it's still important and special to me and a, a like physical I think it's like the weightiness of of the thing whether that is the necklace or the concrete angel of it said your son's life had weight. Yeah. Your life had meaning and value. And if you cannot hold him, here's this thing that you can hold that reminds you of him. And that, and that says that we see his significance. And so sometimes those tangible things um, were really, I don't know, I, I still cherish them and I keep them in a very special place in our home. And then the other thing is uh, we had a couple different people who um, planted trees in memory of our son. Um, Our church that we were at at the time, 
what a beautiful expression of of God's people. Um, I think that that is when I I first truly fell in love with the church. I've been in the church since I was well born, and but I don't think I really fell in love with the church until I saw that the way that they entered into um, our darkest time alongside of us. And uh, the church purchased and planted a tree that it still stands there today outside of the the church grounds. I was actually there just a few weeks ago and stopped by and I took a picture of it. It is almost reaching the roof of the church now. It is so tall. And it's such a beautiful way to, to mark time and also see hmm, to see the the good that can grow out of broken places. Mm-hmm. And so I, and it's those things like I never would have thought of doing that before we had lost before somebody else had in their mind. I don't know if they had experienced something similar and wanted to pass it along, but I never would have thought of doing those, any of those things previous to walking through loss. And so those are a few that first come to mind for me. I love that. Um, whenever I'm working with somebody who's going through grief and when I've gone through grief myself, I do think it's so, so important to do something physical, like a tangible something, because there's so much going on inside of our hearts, our souls, our minds. It feels like we're walking in another world, but still being present in a world that hasn't changed, so to speak. But for us, yeah. everything's changed. So having physical representations and actual things that people do or can give us that can be really, really helpful. And I love the tree. That is beautiful. It is. It is. So Sarah, I love to ask my guests and I didn't ask you last time. So I want to ask you this time, if there's a particular scripture the Lord is using in your life these days, or just one that you always hold with you as special. Yeah, I think, I think a passage that has been resonating in my heart and my mind for probably the last year and part of that is the writing that I've been doing and the questions I've been asking um, is John 17, which is the portion of scripture where Jesus is praying. He, he like goes through and he you know prays for himself and he prays for his disciples who are there in the room with him. And then he prays for all believers, you know, the, the church that is yet to come. And there and just the language in that particular passage, um, how he talks about, you know, may they all be one um, as you and I are one. And he's praying to the father and says, you know, I and them and you and me. And I love, it's almost like poetic. And there's this cadence, there's this rhythm to the words that he is using that, that reminds me that this life that we are living And as we try to connect with God and connect with other people, that those are not siloed, that it is all interconnected as we we get to know other people and see different expressions of who God is in other people. And then as we interact with God and he softens our hearts toward people who we may not be very soft toward. And, And so it's, I keep coming back to that especially in seasons when I am disheartened by what I see either in my personal relationships or as I see in the broader church or the broader culture, 
of remembering that that prayer Jesus prayed in John 17 continues still, like it echoes over us still. And that it like, that is still the vision that God has for us. And so it gives me a lot of hope um, in a season that, and especially over the last few years, as it feels like we are all being forced to our corners <laughs> and, and of trying to remember how God sees this moment in the light of eternity and to continue to step toward each other. Mm-hmm. I heard Francis Chan say maybe a year or two ago that he could just sit and read John 14 through 17 on repeat. And that actually it'd be good for all Christians to do that. So I went, I always love that passage, those passages of scripture anyway, but that is Jesus talking to his disciples right before he dies. Like if you want to know the most important things to remember, it's John 14 through 17. And there's so much peace and joy that he gives us about how to live the Christian life. But also in that particular passage too, I, I know what you're talking about, about the cadence and the rhythm and uh, John Eldridge you know, he has the pause app and he says, make us one as you are one. And he repeats a lot of that. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And he's really using a lot of that imagery from John 17. I cannot agree more if we always need to be in unity with the Lord mm. and with each other. And when we forget what that looks like, Jesus has given us a passage that we can go back to and refer to. Yeah. And it gives us so much hope when it feels daunting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I love that. Okay. Last question. And this is just for fun. We'll end on a fun note. I know you're a writer, but you're also a reader. So what are you reading these days? What are your favorites that you've been reading lately? Well, I have a stack usually. <laughs> Me <laughs> too. The, yeah. I, I like to have options. Um, a few that I'm reading right now are um, A Curious Faith by Lori Ferguson Wilbert and um, La- or Bittersweet by Susan Kane. And then let's see what else is on my stack. Oh, Gilead, which is a novel by Marilyn Robinson. Um, you know, I think it's one of, I, I think it either won the Pulitzer or some, I think it was a Pulitzer Prize winner from many years ago that I'm finally getting around to reading. I always have to have some sort of fiction in my life. Yes. I feel like I'm reading a lot of good for me books these days. And I, I'm thankful for that because I'm learning so much, but fiction is my go-to. Like if I can escape into a good story, oh, that is good for my soul. A really good story. (laughs) So I did read Gilead, but I want to say that was probably when I was a teenager. Like it's been a long time. I don't remember that much about it. I think it came out early 2000s, if not late 90s. And I just, I've always heard about it and then found it at like half price books. And I'm like, I think it's time. I think it's time for me to read this book. Are you liking it? I am. It, it's, it's, a, it's written in such a different way. You know, there's like no chapters. It's like continuous. And so it's taken me a little while to like, to get into to that rhythm um, but I am enjoying it. It's just so beautifully written. And so I think I'm just moving through it slowly um, for that reason of like just kind of marinating in it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Lori Ferguson Wilbert was on our the podcast a few years ago and we talked about her first book, all about touch, healthy touch. 
And it was so helpful to go through that. And I have not read her new book. So I'm excited about that. It's on my to read list. So yeah, it's really good. Um, The way that she postures it is like going through many of the questions, you know, that we find. And I'm finding I'm working through that one slowly, too, because it's a really good book to have, have like to journal along, like as you read it, because with each question, you kind of want to sit with it. Yeah. And contemplate in a little bit. And so I think it's um it's just a it's a book that is a very good friend and I think very representative of who Lori is in real life as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, is there anything that you wanted to share that I didn't give you a chance to? I don't think so. I mean, I I love having these conversations and I'm so grateful that you make space for hard conversations about Um, grief and relationships and all these things that carry so much complexity. Um, So I just, first of all, thank you for that. And, you know, I would love, these are a lot of the conversations that I continue in my writing. And so if anyone wants to um, come hang out with me over at Substack, where I write human together, I would love, I would love to continue the conversation over there. Very cool. And I will link to all of your, all your contact information in today's show notes as well so that they can find you. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure for me too. It's a joy to really actually get to connect with you and not just via Instagram. So it's right. been a blessing. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Sarah. It has been a joy to talk with you and connect with you and share our stories together. Friends, if you want to know more about Sarah, I really suggest you go check out her website, sarahewestfall.com. There you can find more about her writing, what she's up to, how to sign up for her newsletter, her resources that we talked about in the last two episodes, and her newsletter. And I will link to that in today's show notes. You can also follow her on Instagram. She is one of my favorite follows. You can find her there at Sarah underscore Westfall. And I have not forgotten about her soup recipe she told us that she would share. So if you're not already following me on Instagram or Facebook, go find me now at Pause Renew Next. I'm going to be sharing those recipes in my stories this week. Guys, if you love this podcast, if you find it enriching in your own life or encouraging, would you do me a favor and share it with your friends? I love word of mouth or shares on social media. Any kind of sharing at all is so encouraging and helpful for passing this podcast on to new listeners. Well, that is all for today's podcast episode. Meet me back here next Tuesday for another Soul Care episode as we continue our fall series about building resilience. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.